Matthew chapter 3. May the Lord just bring the word that he wants to bring today. I, I just want to talk to you for a few minutes. God is wanting to move us into a, a new level of effectiveness in him. And that's exciting to me. I believe that we're getting ready to see a demonstration of who our God is in greater ways than what we've ever experienced before. And uh, let's go ahead and read. There's, there's, there's several things we're going to cover here, but beginning with verse 7. This is talking about John the Baptist. John the Baptist preceding the ministry of Jesus. He says in verse 7, But when he saw many Pharisees and Sadducees coming to where he was baptizing, he said to them, <clears throat> You brood of vipers, who warned you to flee from the coming wrath? Produce fruit in keeping with repentance, and do not think you can say to yourselves, We have Abraham as our father. I tell you that out of these stones God can raise up children for Abraham. An axe is already at the root of the trees, and every tree that does not produce good fruit will be cut down and thrown into the fire. Are we excited yet? I baptize you with water for repentance, but after me will come one who is more powerful than I, whose sandals I am not fit to carry. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. His winnowing fork is in, in his hand, and he will clear his threshing floor, gathering his wheat into the barn and burning up the chaff with unquenchable fire. Then drop down real quick to the beginning of, of Matthew chapter 4. And there's some good things in between, but I don't want to focus on what's in between, but you can read that later. It's okay. It sounds just like the word. <laughs> it says in Matthew chapter 4. Chapter <laughs> there it goes. Matthew chapter 4 says this. Then Jesus was led by the Spirit into the desert to be tempted by the devil. After fasting 40 days and nights, he was hungry. Now I'm going to stop right there. Um, there's some things that the Lord wanted me to just share with us today, and uh, I really don't want to try to get too technical in the Scripture. I really just want to talk, okay? And so there's going to be some things that we draw out of here, but um, look, what is our message? What is our message? Is our The majority of the body of Christ their message is repentance. But our message goes beyond repentance. Our message is about the kingdom of God. Our message is about the kingdom of God. It's not just about sin. It's not just about the sickness of the human soul. It's not just about the brokenness that came from the sin in the garden. Our message isn't just about you are defective. There's something missing in your life. There's something wrong with you. Our message is about a kingdom. It's about setting things in order that are out of order. 
It's about coming into alignment with a divine purpose and plan for your life. The reality is there's not one human being in the earth. I'm taking my glasses off because I found them at the end of my work day yesterday on the ground, and I think I stepped on them. So there is a divine purpose and plan for your life. There's a divine purpose and plan for creation, and it's not just to let people know that they're broken. Everybody's broken in some way. Everybody was born with an an internal brokenness of some kind. There is a void inside of everything. On Wednesday night, they talked about the experiences of life creating these caverns in the mountain of our life that might not be visible to everybody on the outside, but we know they're there. We know there's something missing on the inside. We feel it when we look all polished and shined up on the outside, but we know that we have a need for God on the inside. There's something missing. God came to heal the broken places on the inside. But it's even more than that. It's not about the brokenness. It's about the becoming. It's about the realignment of our life. It's about beginning to walk in what God created us for, and as we're walking and discovering and becoming ourselves, that we are extending that kingdom out to the people that we're coming in contact with. So I'm going to ask you a question. How deeply has the kingdom of God permeated your life? How deeply has the kingdom of God permeated your life? You know, um, I think what I've got on here is just some good old dirt. Maybe it's from crying or something. Would you clean that for me? Thank you. Um, John the Baptist started out in this passage. He said he saw the Pharisees and the Sadducees. They were coming out. There's this wild man out there in the desert baptizing people. He's telling the righteous people of of Israel to be baptized and telling them to repent. We just need to kind of check him out and find out who in the world does he think he is. Who were the Pharisees and the Sadducees? They're the ones who had it all figured out. They were the leaders of the people. We are the elite. We are the ones who we've got the scriptures. We have the lifestyle to demonstrate that we are all right with God all right in our eyes when they were all undone with God. And so, isn't it beautiful? I love it. I love it. I love who Jesus chose as his disciples. I love the fact that he chose a, a, a John the Baptist, this wild man uh, wearing a, a, a camel hair, something around his waist and eating locusts and wild honey. He's living out there. He's not, Jesus talked about him and talked about how, you know, he didn't come eating and drinking and, and having fancy clothes or anything like that. He's a wild man out in the desert telling people to repent and multitudes are going out there to be baptized. Multitudes are going out there and repenting and coming into, into realigning their lives with God's, they're recognizing they're sinners and they need to be in relationship with God. But God used somebody that was not, would have been handpicked by the religious institutions of the day. And when Jesus came, who did he pick? 
people that still smelled like the fish that they had been handling. And he said, come and follow me. He picked people that weren't just dirty on the outside. He picked people that were dirty on the inside. Matthew, the tax collector. So much so that the religious leaders look, why would he fellowship with these people? But that was the choice people that Jesus went after. You got to love it. I do. Why not? If he's about transformation, can I just confess to you? Probably the, the weakest point in my spiritual life when it was when I had so much confidence in how good I was doing. I was all cleaned up. Look, I went to Bible school. I had it right. Look, it is so humorous to me to think about it now. In Bible school, I was doing my best to play the part. I had the briefcase. You know, that's spiritual. I had the briefcase. I bought it at Brendel's. Remember when Brendel's was down here? It was gray. I had a gray briefcase. I bought it at Brendel's. I had an overcoat. It looked like Inspector Gadget. I was doing my best to try to play the part, wear the tie, wear the suit, dressed up because I was in Bible school. I'm trying to do it the right way. And it was all man stuff. And it was in the middle of that man stuff that God gave me a word said, David, just relax. And literally the word it was from a man of God said, stop trying to live beyond your level of maturity. God will develop those things in you, but you're trying to do it in the flesh. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord, for loving me that much. The Pharisees and the Sadducees, because they had it all figured out, even though they didn't have the relationship in place, they came with the pointing finger trying to find out what they could discover that might be wrong about John the Baptist, just like they did with Jesus. And look at how, you think John was intimidated? You brood of vipers. <laughs> Smack. You brood of vipers, who warned you to flee from the coming wrath? And then he challenges them about the way they're living their, their lives. Produce fruit in keeping with repentance. And then, then he challenges something else. What, what is it that we place our security in? You know, there are churches that, that they teach that in order to make it to heaven, you've got to go to church. You've got to be at church. If you're not at church, then you're missing it. There are churches that I can remember people, y'all y'all may or may not remember this, but you remember the Sunday school pins? I mean, it's one thing to go to church, but have you got your Sunday school pin? And they got, I remember people standing on Sunday school pins Sunday and having Sunday school pins all the way down because they've been there 400 years. And they got the pins to show it. Never miss a Sunday. Look, I appreciate dedication and people being there, but that is not your righteousness. Our righteousness, if, 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 we, if we are trusting anything, Lord, just make it personal. If we're trusting anything for our righteousness or our right standing with the Lord that's not based in Jesus, we've got a crutch that's going to break. It's going to splinter in that that's going to splinter and pierce us in the hand. Anything that we're 
depending on, that's not based in Jesus and what he accomplished for us, if we think that we're sitting in a high seat somewhere, that our giving is making us righteous, or we're thinking that, that even, even our, what we express from our mouths is somehow making us righteousness, if it's not based on Jesus, it's, it's taking us into religion. If, if even our works, if we're trying to justify ourselves by our works, we're following a, a fallacy. We're follow, following an untruth. It is in Christ and in Christ alone. The things that we live and we do, we do because of what he's done for us, not in order to earn something from him. What is repentance? We, we should have this down. Repentance is a 180-degree a turn. We were going a certain direction, but we discovered that that was wrong, that we were in the wrong, that we were out of fellowship, out of relationship, and we had an encounter with God, and we realized, I'm undone. I'm undone. I've got to change. And by the power of Holy Spirit, he, he came upon us and, and helped us to make a 180-degree return, I mean, 180-degree turn. That's what repentance is. It's turning and going the other direction. I was following this path. Now I'm turning. And the reality is we were following the path that was being dictated to us by the prince of the power of the air. We were following the path that was being dictated by the world and by our culture and by the people that we were hanging around. And when God got a hold of our lives, he spoke to us and said, don't follow them, follow me. And so we turned. And there's a continual, it's, it's not just an event, it's, it's a lifestyle of turning. It's a continual turning to the Lord. It's a continual change. There's a continual exposure of things that need to be set in order. Repentance is a lifestyle. It's not just an event. Realigning our lives, realigning our thoughts, realigning our motives, Realigning our relationships. Realigning what's important to us with our finances. What's important to us with how we spend our time. What's important to us with regards to our future. We cannot just live like the world. We, 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 if we are kingdom minded, we can't be obsessed and possessed by the things of the world. Those things... There's things there that are completely good. But those things should not be governing your lives. If, if, if the ball game or if a job promotion or if those things somehow are able to cripple you and, and crush you and, and if those things change your demeanor with regards to who you are and the way you react, somehow the kingdom of God has not permeated your life far enough you're living on a, a there's a shell there that needs to be broken through you're allowing it to permeate the surface and, and affect you in name but you should not be broken down by by those things and i'm not saying that they don't affect us but it shouldn't affect us in such a way that it causes us to lose our demeanor in the faith if anything when we go through something we should Find a way to fortify ourselves in the faith. I love the aspect, you've heard me speak before about the different storms in the Bible, how, how um, there was a storm, God allowed a storm in, in Jonah's life to be able to, 
to, to turn him around because he was an erring prophet. And sometimes God will allow difficulties in our life to help us get refocused on where we need to be. Understand, if God allows a storm, it's not to bring destruction on us. It's not to break you down. It's not to, to, to destroy you in any kind of way. What God may allow something, maybe you, you have to walk through a difficult place, but it's use it as an opportunity to realign yourself. There was another storm where the disciples were all fretting and thinking they were going to drown. They're bailing as fast as they can bail. And in the middle of that storm, Jesus is asleep in the boat. He's, he's just relaxed. He's finally getting a break. And uh, the disciples, Lord, don't you care? We're going down. And Jesus, peace, oh, ye of little faith. And he stands up and says, peace, be still, and everything changes. And all of a sudden, those in the boat with Jesus say, what manner of man is this? And God used that storm in order to reveal himself to them in a whole other way. They got to find, you know, they were in the middle of a storm, but it was really about the revelation that they were getting ready to receive. So, Lord, what do you want to show me? I, I, I'm going through something here, but what do you want to show me? Teach me something about yourself. Pull me deeper into my relationship and God, I know that you've got this storm. I know that you've got the peace, be still. Won't you just show me what you want to show me and, and learn to trust God on a whole new level. There's another storm where the disciples are out there in the lake. Jesus is not with them in the boat. And so all of a sudden, their security blanket's not there. They're out in a boat in the middle of the storm. And in the middle of that storm, all of a sudden, they look over there and they see what they think is a ghost coming across the water. Jesus is like, this storm is no problem to me. He's just out there walking taking a stroll. I'm catching up with you guys. And as he's coming across, all the disciples who had been in the boat and were concerned not only about what they were going through, but concerned about this ghost coming across the water. How about Jesus just say, look, Peter, you want to go for a walk? And he sticks out his hand. Do you understand what God was communicating, what Jesus was communicating to them, that even in the midst of the most desperate situations, God can give you mastery over that situation. Not just the security of being in your safe zone. Lord, would you just break up what we think are our safe zones, the things that we've learned to depend on, the things that have made us comfortable but have become our cage? Are there things that you won't do for the Lord because you're trying to be safe? Would you let the Lord come in and take you to a new level and let you walk on the water with him? Peter, this is not normal for you. This is a new thing, but I've got you. Would you just put your hand in my hand and come walk with me? You know, Peter got out of the boat, and when he started looking at all the circumstances, look, there's plenty of opportunities for God to do things in people's lives. There's plenty of people that need the word of God. There's plenty of people that need a healing touch. The fields are white under harvest. There's all kinds of people out there that are looking for answers, and they're looking in all the wrong places. Can I just tell you what? One of the problems is there's not enough believers who are willing to step out of the boat. There's not enough believers that are willing to move into something where they, they may feel uncomfortable. They may not be familiar with speaking to that. They may not be familiar with praying about that. They may not 
be familiar with stepping beyond their insecurity and God saying, if you'll put your hand in my hand and just come walk with me, I'll teach you how to walk in this kind of environment. We've got to break free from our comfort zone. We've got to break free from what we've been. But this is how you get from one side to the other. It worked in the past. We grew up fishing. We know how this works, so we're going to stay within what we know. And God's saying, won't you launch out? Won't you step out of the boat? Step into something you've never done. Step beyond your insecurity. Be willing to let go of that. How many of you are willing to live with your insecurity for the rest of your life? Well, it's just who I am. No, it's not. It's not what God created you for. It upsets me. I hope it's righteous. <laughs> but it upsets me to see people that are living their lives in cages. And it, it, there's all kinds of manifestations of it. But especially when it hinders God's purpose and God's plan, God can accomplish what he needs to accomplish through us when we allow certain things to hold us back. Speak, pray, be the person that God called you to be. Seize the opportunity that God brings to you. If you'll, if you'll be willing to step out on the water, I didn't mean to spend a whole lot of time with the storms. That's almost why I didn't go there because I'm afraid, afraid I'd spend too much time there. But look, if he's extending his hand and saying, come walk with me, won't you just trust him? Won't you just step out? Won't you just move with him and let him show you something new? He'll be the one who holds you up. He'll be the one who shows you how to do it. And there's one more thing, that there's one more storm, and that's when Paul was out there on the way to Rome. He was going to go before Caesar. I mean, he's going to jail. Certainly the Lord would rather just preserve him from that rather than him have to walk into that storm and be before. No, God didn't see it as a problem. God saw it as an opportunity. God's testimony before Rome, before, before Caesar, was going to open the door for the gospel in a whole other dimension in the Roman Empire. So God didn't take him out of the fire. God took him into the middle of the fire to show that he was God there also. There are difficult circumstances, difficult situations, and I'm not just talking about trials and, and sicknesses and things like that. But rather than pulling back from the challenge, why don't we step forward into it and trust the Lord? In this last scenario, you've got Paul who's in the middle of a storm. He's on the way, and, this, and they come to this storm, and he's in the presence of the Lord. And you would think that in the presence of the Lord that he would get this great word about what they could do to avoid the storm or that Paul was supposed to stride out onto the front of the boat and say, Peace be still, and everybody would know that God was there that maybe that there would be a miraculous intervention from the Lord. But the word that came to Paul, the word that came to Paul was the, the ship's going down. Everything's going to be a loss. But nobody's going to lose their life. And that was the word that was coming. Well, the lives not being lost is good, but the fact that the ship's going down is not that encouraging, you know? But that's what God gave him, and so he shared that with them. And so they prepared themselves, and they got ready. And when the ship went down, they were ready, and, and God provided, provided a way for them to all make it to land. 
Look, four different scenarios. God used a storm to reroute an erring prophet. Second scenario, God used a storm to reveal just what kind of God he was. What manner of man is this, that he's got authority over the storm? Third kind of storm, God used a storm with his disciples so that he could invite Peter to step out of the boat and have mastery over the storm with his hand in Jesus' hand. Number four, God used the storm. So God was able to display, display his foreknowledge, his wisdom, his understanding through Paul so that he, Paul could give godly direction so that people would, people's lives would be preserved even though they were having to go through a storm. <clears throat> when we have to face storms, God's got an answer for the storm. But what I want to get across to you today is, number one, our message is more than just repentance. Our message is about the kingdom of God. But we've got to allow the kingdom of God to permeate us such that so no matter what our circumstances are, we're looking for God's answer in the middle of that place. It's not just about some kind of surface exterior thing, that it, but it's something that permeates every facet of our life and that we become messengers of the kingdom of God. We're not just down here living a frail existence, hoping to be able to make it one day to the day when we go up into heaven. No, we were powerful in the kingdom of God, and God's wanting to use us by his power, by his anointing, to be able to have an impact on our communities and the world that we live with. Yes, God wants your family members saved. God wants your family members saved. And you may have the strongest voice, voice into them, but if I say something, they might be offended. Yes! But do it in love. Let what they experience in you not be reflected of your brokenness and your hurt and your pain and where you came from and the things that went on before and the things that you remember about how they hurt you in the past. Let what they experience of you be, be uh, uh, have the aroma of Christ on it. May it be forgiving and may it be releasing them from their guilt. It may it be exactly what you experienced in Christ. Look, I've got something I've got to go to. I need to tell you this. Let the kingdom of God permeate your beings. What I want to tell you is that you've got to re-examine the areas of your life where you've got brokenness. Have you forgiven? Have you forgiven? Have you forgiven where there's been business dealings that didn't go the way you wanted them to go, where it caused you financial loss, and now there's grievance, and there's right, right you have a right to be grieved. You have a right to be angry. You have a right to be upset. But I'm going to tell you, God's wanting to accomplish some things through his people and, and a root of bitterness and, and, and uh, the animosity that comes with that and the, the guilt that's assigned to that and, and all of those things, they are a barrier to what God wants to accomplish in your life. It's not worth it. Do you have brokenness in your relationships that need to be healed? Business is one thing. The Lord specifically told me, we have got to let go of things that divide us and conquer and, and are, are bringing allowing the enemy to conquer us. If you've got something against somebody, if you've been hurt by somebody, if you have done something that was hurtful to someone, put an end to it. 
Go before the cross of Jesus and get it restored. Oh, my goodness gracious. I mean, goodness gracious. I can't get through all of this. Look, the Pharisees and the Sadducees put confidence in their lineage. It's who we came from. It's Abraham, our father. And John said, look, don't think that because you've got this long history that God can't raise up somebody else to do the work that he needs done. People of God. I've been walking with the Lord for most of my life. That doesn't mean that I'm the select one that God's going to use. God's going to use whoever's willing to be obedient to him. God will raise up someone completely unqualified. I'm going to tell you, can I just tell you something? I don't want to be left out. I want to be right in the middle of what God's doing. But don't think because you've grown up in church or because you've been walking with the Lord for a long time or or you've got the whole Bible memorized in 15 different versions that you're God's select. God will find someone who's obedient and they may smell like fish because they're brand new. But if they're willing, God's going to use them. Don't look any further, Lord. (laughs) I'm going to run right in. (laughs) I want to be there. God can raise up from these stones if he needs to. But, But John the Baptist spoke to him and said, Look, the axe is right at the root. He's ready to cut down that old tree. And that's God's mercy. That's God's mercy. If there's something that's unfruitful, there's bad fruit being produced, it's God's mercy that he would bring judgment on that and take that out. Why don't we just make ourselves available to the Lord and say, Lord, if there's something in my life that's not pleasing to you, uh, let me just, can I just rephrase that? Lord, the areas of my life that aren't pleasing to you, Lord, would you just remove that? Sometimes we go through experiences that, stir us up and inflame us on the inside, make us angry, make us upset, make us, and it, it just shows the ugly on the inside. That's God's mercy sometimes. And we're sitting there, other side of it, we're like, what in the world just happened? But God's loving us enough to expose an attitude or, or an action or something on the inside that needs to be removed I can't quit. I'm not going to quit until I feel free to quit, okay? So I'm, I'm going to keep going. Sorry, folks. I mean, I'm not sorry. Can I just say something? What was the difference between John the Baptist's ministry and Jesus' ministry? John the Baptist was a ministry of repentance. What was, the, what was in a synopsis of what was different about Jesus' ministry? It was repentance plus, right? Repentance plus. The kingdom of God is, is near. At hand. The kingdom of God. So it was repentance plus the kingdom of God. Not just repentance. John preached repentance. There's a lot of churches that major on repentance. Every Sunday. I was recently on an airplane with someone that was new in the faith and was hungry to grow in the Lord. But he and his wife were sitting there. They've been going to a, a good church. But they said, we get the same thing every Sunday. But we're already saved. We want to grow. But they say, every Sunday it's the same thing. They said, do you know of a church that we could go to? They live a long way from here. (laughs) 
but I've put them in contact with someone that can help them find a church in that area. But they said, he said, look, he said, I, I'm trying to figure out this church thing. He said, but all I get every Sunday is the same thing. She's been walking with the Lord for a while, but she, she leaned forward and said, they just preach the same thing every Sunday. John preached repentance. But if all you're getting is repentance, yes, there's sin in your life. Yes, there's things that need to change in life. Yes, you need to turn. But there's more. Can I tell you what more is to me? More is the establishment of the kingdom of God. But folks, it's about God's transforming power coming to work inside of us so that we begin extending his kingdom into our community. Whirly Gig Festival, the evangelism team, when we're in our family gatherings, there's a light in the middle of our family gatherings. We're not just responding to old aches and pains and hurts and things like that, and we're not just there to have a good time. We're there to be salt and light. It says, John says that he baptized with water unto repentance. But there was one coming that was going to baptize with fire. There would be fire. Kingdom authority. It spoke of Jesus that he spoke like no one had ever heard before. He taught like he had authority. And he had a demonstration of that authority. Let me just tell you this. God wants to demonstrate his power and his authority through your life. Don't just minister from a place of brokenness. Don't just minister from a, a place of... of uh, like a sense of lack, like you don't have something in the Lord, that you're just a sinner. Step into the reality of your new identity in Christ, that you have been commissioned by the kingdom of God as an ambassador to share life with people you come in contact with. <sighs> Moving on a little bit further down there, it says, it says in verse 12, he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. I preached all over Nova Scotia. I said, when you received the Holy Spirit, did you receive power? And the answer is, if we receive the Holy Spirit, we receive power. Can you have the Holy Spirit without there being power there? This same Spirit that raised Christ from the dead dwells in you, is what the Scripture said. He won't just be around you, Jesus said, but he will dwell in you. If you receive the Holy Spirit, you receive power. What we've got to learn to do is to yield to the move of the Holy Spirit and release what he's put inside of us. I found people praying, Holy Spirit, won't you come? Holy Spirit, won't you come? Holy Spirit, come. He has. We just need to learn to flow with him. We just need to learn to move with him. We just need to let him be through us. This passage almost threateningly says in verse 12, his winnowing fork is in his hand and he will clear his threshing floor, gathering his wheat into the barn and burning up the chaff with unquenchable fire. It already talked about the ax being put to the root and taking down that unfruitful tree. It talked about the winnowing fork being in his hand. He's going to let the chaff be blown away. It's going to be consumed, but he's gathering his wheat. When I read this, the Lord, Holy Spirit challenged me and said, where do you see yourself? Where do you see yourself? Can I just redefine something to you? Look, we've all got chaff. 
if we're looking at ourselves from from the anointing of 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 John the Baptist and that repentance message, if we're looking at ourselves from the repentance message that somehow you're broken and you need, then let me tell you that we, when we're seeing ourselves from that perspective, when we hear things about the axe coming to the root and we're talking about that winnowing fork in his hand and the chaff being blown away and it being consumed, we look at that and immediately we think, oh my goodness, Lord, please help me. I don't want to be, I don't want to be purged. I don't want to be I don't want to be caught up in that judgment. I don't want to be separated from you. I don't want to be. Can I just tell you, that is not where we are. Every one of us has got some aspects of chaff, some aspects of things that are not good fruit that need to be purged away from my life. Can I just tell you today, you are the wheat. You are the wheat. Some of us may be a little more chaffy than others, but it's God's mercy and grace that comes and winnows. It's God's mercy that puts the axe to the root. What, what is God doing? Jesus is bringing the widowing fort to expose the good in us, not just to, to deal, not just to bring judgment on us. What side of the fence are you on? We're in. We're not out. We're in relationship with God. We are his children. So if he wants to bring a winning fork to my life, he needs to slap me around a little bit in order to, to get the seed out. Lord, do it. I want to be purged. I want to be cleaned. I want to be made new in you, Lord God. I want the wheat to be exposed so that he gets the glory. Look, the wheat is where the fruit is. It's not in the chaff. You can plant chaff all day long. You know what you get? Good compost. But you don't get any fruitfulness. So don't see yourself as being divided from him. It even speaks of Jesus in this next passage. That's why I went down to chapter 4. It says that Jesus, having been baptized and having a visitation where the Father says, this is my Son in whom I'm well pleased. The Holy Spirit comes and descends upon him and rests on him and stays with him. And then he's led by the Spirit out into the wilderness where he goes without food or drink for 40 days and he's tested of the enemy. The tested by the devil. Is a test a pass-fail thing? The test that he was enduring, having to go through right here, was not something that, that showed his flaw. But it showed who he was. And look, folks, we might not be willing to sign up for it. But there are times when we need to go through tests. Because we can have the perspective where we say, well, a test shows what I don't know. But there's another side to that story, too. The test shows what you do know. The test shows what you have become. It shows how much you've absorbed of what you've been taught, how much you've been transformed into his image, how much you're beginning to walk out what you've been called to walk out. It might show some things that need to be corrected and that might see some things that need to be realigned and set in place. But more than anything else, what God's wanting to do when we go through trials and tests and things like that, because he does allow them in our lives, but his intention is to show us what kind of God he is and what we're becoming in him when we, that same thing that broke us the last time doesn't break us this time. That thing that pulled the rug out from under us last time, all of a sudden we found just a little bit more strength. And we may have wobbled a little bit, but we planted a foot 
on his word. We planted a foot on his truth. We planted a foot on something that, he, that, that we heard or that was revealed to us, and all of a sudden our stability is there. The next time the rug gets snatched, let me tell you, we'll be ready because God does not allow those things to break you. He sometimes will allow them to make you. Look, we're running headlong into an opportunity to be kingdom people in our community. This, this year, something's going to be different down at the Whirly Gig Festival. It's not just going to be, hi, my name is David. I hope that you're desperately looking for a church. Would you consider us? Look, that's not what we're about. It, I, I don't mind someone having an encounter, encounter with Jesus Christ and them going to another church. But I want them to know him. I want them to know him. It is only right that we share what we've received in the Lord. So when we go, we're not just going to be patting them on the back and giving them a doctrine. We're just not going to be patting them on the back and, you know, giving them some doctrinal fit. I don't, I'm rehearsing the same thing, and I don't want to do it again. What we're going to do is give them Jesus in demonstration, in power, releasing what God's given us, giving them an encouraging word, praying for their needs, giving God an opportunity to touch them. You don't have to fix them. Why don't you just let God fix them? Just give God an opportunity to, to work in their life. Amen. We're going to stand and pray. Thank you, God. Thank you, God. Lord, this word said that John the Baptist came with a message of repentance, your God. But Jesus, you came with repentance and the kingdom of God, setting things in order the way you intended for them to be. So God, I want to make myself available first before I put it on all these folks. God, I want the wheat to be exposed. I want the fruitfulness to be exposed. I want the kingdom of God to be manifest in my life, your God. So I submit myself to your process. God, whatever it takes, Lord, would you work through me? You might have to work on me to continue working in me, but that's okay. Lord, as a body of believers, Lord, we want you to be able to move effectively through us to change people's lives for eternity. Is there anything more valuable than that? Lord, there's nothing that more valuable that we can sow our lives into. We could, get, we could work real hard so that we could get a new car. And in 10 years, it's going to be trash. But God, we could win one person to you, and they can live for eternity. And everybody that they turn to you, dear Lord, will w walk with them. God, help us to value the things that you value and to sow our lives into those things. God, work effectively through us, I pray. In this house, dear God, we make a declaration, Jesus, you are Lord over everything that goes on. Lord, not just in this building, your God, but in our hearts and in our homes, your God, and in our families, Lord. We want your grace and your guidance, your God. We want you to show us how to do it right. Lord, we, we submit our families to you, your God, and our relationships with you. Lord, whether it hurts us, your God, or it challenges them, Lord, we submit those relationships to you, Lord God. Would you move in, dear God, and change things that need to be changed, dear God. You be glorified. Take the brokenness and make it a whole, I pray. God, we pray for you 
to order our lives in such a way that it brings glory to you. And Lord, would you entrust us with the anointing of your Holy Spirit. Let your glory, oh Lord Jesus, Lord, let your glory be manifest through your people, your God. Lord, not that we, our names be exalted or that we get some kind of big head, dear God, but Lord, may you receive glory. God, may you be lifted up. Forgive us for when we've used your accomplishments to prop our own, our own name, dear God, or our own reputation up, dear God. Here, look at me. Look what I did. Forgive us, oh God. But Holy Spirit, would you move effectively in us? Would you rearrange our furniture as needed? And then, Lord, would you effectively move through us to bring life to needy people? And God will give you the glory. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Thank you, Lord God. Thank you for calling us your own. Work through us, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. Amen. The Lord bless you.